Iced tea. Go a cappella. Now I'm on the West Coast, relaxing and chill, living on the mead streets of Beverly Hill. I have I love I, it. You way better than a lot of rappers that are making yes. records right now. She is Olivia Munn. Drop my name as much as you can. By the way, I am a first-class name dropper. The great, legendary John Madden. And then on the phone, Steve Marriott. She's- <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. You watch a guy. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is that? Mooch, how did you sniff that out so quickly? I sniffed that out. I sniffed that out. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, everybody. Hope you had a safe and wonderful and joyous July 4th holiday week. I mean, when you put July 4th right in the middle of the week, you're boy, asking I mean, for the whole week off. People were uh, Chris Brockman taking a shot of Novocaine to the head, and they were out. I mean, even if you even if out. you do get off Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday for a five day weekend, even that when you show up for work Monday, oh. you're not you know you're just not mentally there. Oh, not mentally there. You're not there. You're not with it. You're already thinking about the five day weekend. You're I was not, here. There's nothing. Did anything get done in this country last week? Let me tell you what, Rich. I was here on Wednesday. Putting together, putting together the podcast, the, television, the television program. program I know. Week. I gave you a Twitter shout out. You did, that. and I really appreciate that. But then you, but then <laughs> you, but by, then you. By said, the way, that's all I did. But then you sent me an email to correct my grammar of the well, Beatles tweet that I had. You had the Beatles tweet, and what did you tweet out? Your Beatles tweet. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge Beatles fan, like right. everyone else. And right. It was 11 o'clock right. p.m. Yes. on the West Coast when yes. I was driving home, yes. and I heard a Beatles song, and I said. It took all I it took all I could to change a channel because it dawned on me there's still an hour left. And you wrote D O N N E. Right, I put dawned on you. Dawned a jacket. And I said I said it dawned on you. I I didn't tweet this out. I said you were the one bringing it up. I sent you an email. You emailed me. What did you have the exact email that I sent you? Do you still have it, or you you flushed it away? No, no, no. Your email was love you, but here yeah I, well, that was the, the it's, uh, i may still have it it's it's dawned not d- in in the meantime it's dawn not dawn would you like to introduce our our new friend who is here yeah with all on vacation uh for the next couple weeks we uh we had to go to the bullpen down there at nfl.com got td is manning the board back there td what's up what's going on guys how are you sir welcome to the show great great being on <laughs> first time first long time listener first time sitting in for chris law yep what's your deal where are you from Oh, uh, that's a long story. Okay. Very international. I was born in, in Atlanta. I grew up in Nigeria for a decent amount of time. I moved back to Atlanta to go to college and uh, ended up here eventually. Okay. I'm sorry, yeah. you called me from a 212 number. That's New York, right? No, that was actually in here in podcast studio. Wait, the podcast studio goes through New York? It's, yeah, it, it is. Goes through New- wow. Oh, so at any rate, uh, you wrote, uh, uh, what did I hear? <laughs> no, no, no. What, what did I write? Uh, you wrote, it dawned on me. That's what you said. So I wrote, love you, but the phrase is, it dawned on me, as in something rose up and hit you, not dawned right, on me, right, as in right. something appeared and you wore it. Right. Because my tweet was this. <laughs> just, my tweet was at 11 p.m. on July 4th. Just had to change radio station after I started singing along to I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. Still Still an hour left of this 4th of July, hashtag freedom. Right. And then I hashtagged uh, Michigan man. All right. <laughs> oh, man. So Law's out. Uh, TD. Law's right, out. So are you a Falcon fan? Does that make you a Falcon fan or not really? Sort of. Not really. What's your team? I am not a team guy. People find this pretty strange with me in sports. I'm like a fanalist type of guy. I just like to observe the game. I'm not into all the heated fan debates. I just want to have actual football talk. 
I'm that way with all sports. I'm a basketball guy too, a soccer guy. Okay. Well, break it down. Unfortunately for you, wanting to have football talk on this podcast, I have Gabe Feldman of uh, the Tulane Sports Law School coming back. We're not going to try and make heads or tails of all. Well, I mean, you know, it finally dawned on me that maybe we should on this podcast talk about this Saints stuff from the legal aspect. Now that the players in this case, with the Players Association, sort of no doubt. Uh, honchoing or quarterbacking this whole thing. Now that they have filed a federal lawsuit, three of them combined with Vilma's federal lawsuit and his defamation suit and all that stuff, now that they have combined it all together and this 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 bounty case has reached the bench of a federal judge and the commissioner powers are going to be discussed in front of a federal judge and the league has also filed... Uh, what I guess an answer for whatever I know I'm not talking uh, legalese here, legalese. but uh, their response is they want this thing thrown out. Now that this is in front of a federal judge, and the fact that this playing season is on the horizon, we are mere weeks now. We are less than a month from the Hall of Fame game in which the Saints are playing. Uh, it's time to find out heads or tails. Like, what's this all about? What do the players in this case need to prove in order to? Is it possible? for them to overturn the commissioner powers that uh, were collectively bargained, but, you know, to stay in right in the CBA last summer. Is it possible that they're going to get a federal judge to say, you know what, Commissioner Goodell, you can't do that? I can't believe it's come to all this. Is it possible to do that? And if so, when might that happen? Can it happen in time for training camp? Will it happen in time for the season? What are the odds that it does happen? What is the strategies behind this? And then we ask the true question about whether the one thing that will 100% affect the Saints season is the, the ruling that a special master just made on the Drew Brees case in terms of how many times you can franchise a player by one team and what it means for you to be paid by that team. And will this mean that Brees signs faster? Does it give Brees more of a hammer, as people are saying? Because to me, whether Breeze is in or not, that affects the season. Right. Because they're a different team with Chase Daniel. Clearly not having your coach head coach and then not having an interim head coach for the first six weeks you know or the interim head coach is not there for the first six weeks creating the very first as we always say here the very first interim new interim head coach in the history of sports uh that obviously affects the team but to me what really will affect when like to me if the saints would win 12 games maybe this means they win 10 maybe 11 i don't know they're to me a very good team still a very good team. No if doubt. Breeze is not there, and if he's not there on time, that's an issue. That is what can truly mess up the Saints' season. Because Breeze there, he's he's the, he's he's got Peyton's brain in his head. That's right. what we talked about for years. Is how Sean Peyton and right. Drew Breeze have Same a guy. special quarterback coach relationship that other teams don't enjoy. So, we'll talk about that with Gabe. But first up, we've got a future Hall of Famer. TD, LT. Who was just recently on the show. He was recently on the show, but he's coming back in. I think he's I think he's he's going to be part of the paparazzi now. I think so, too. Now that he's officially retired. The question ba- is, 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 it, is it our paparazzi? Right. Is it Bristol paparazzi? Is it Fox paparazzi? NBC, CBS paparazzi? I don't know. Who, he's going to be part it's of the paparazzi. It's going to be somebody. And it's funny because last time he was on, he was expressing the interest that if he was going to hang him up. Well, he, he's now hung he him up. He had not yet retired at the point. But since hanging him up, he's, there's been a lot of, you know, questions about 
why he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring? And is it because of a me-first attitude? i got to bring that up gently with LaDainian. Yeah, you may want to dance around that one. <laughs> I, you know, there's been there's been some shots fired in LT's direction, unnamed. That ticked of me course. off. To me, it's just, you know, put, put a name on it. Put a name on it. It's the world we live in today. Nameless, nameless sources. You'd put your name. You'd put your initials on it. Yeah, for sure. Why do you go by TD? What's your My actual first name is Tunde, which most people struggle with pronouncing. So they call me TD, which is a lot easier for them. What, 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 what is it, TD? What is it, TD? This might be too much for Rich. It's Tunde. T-U-N-D-E. So Tunde. Tunde. Yeah. Rich, if I was going to put a name on it, I would have an underscore in there. <laughs> Somebody tweeted out, when are you going to change your middle name to underscore? That was great. Okay, uh, an interesting show. Again, uh, we're going to talk a lot of legalese and a lot of the Saints stuff uh, with Gabe Feldman coming up, but let's get to a future HOFer. One of the best of all time. He's a GOAT, and he is now officially retired. This man was on the podcast just a few weeks ago saying he was mulling it. He is now, through mulling it, a retired National Football League player, LaDainian Tomlinson. How are you? I'm good. How does that sound? It It sounds good. You know, a little weird, mm-hmm. you know, to say retired now, but it feels good to to finally be retired, have it over with, and move on with the next phase of my life. What was this decision about? Uh, honestly, it, you know, just for me, uh, turning 33 years old just recently, I knew at some point I had to move on from football. I mean, everybody does. And for me... You know, it was time as far as what I wanted to do next. You know, I I could have still played, absolutely. But for me, mentally, emotionally, I was done with football. Physically, yeah, I could I could have continued to play. But one thing about it, Rich, you have to be mentally, emotionally there. You have to be into it every single day. And I, I wasn't willing to, to make that commitment anymore. What was it about it? Well, um, the, the long days... Uh, you know, training camp and throughout the year, every week preparing for an opponent, you know, going out there and not only putting it on the line physically, but mentally preparing. And also just having young kids, you know, being a new father, uh, you know, that that played a big part of it. That you wanted to be there, pick the kid up at school, take him to pre-K. I wanted to take my kid to school, pick him up, you know, have swimming lessons, take them to swimming lessons. Right. Just do normal, everyday father stuff. So are you saying that when some folks in the Southern California area in which you reside go to a mommy and me class, sometimes it could just happen to be one of the top running backs of all time at yeah. the mommy and me <laughs> class? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> to some of the guys who were at that class go, wait sort of look at you and go wait a minute yeah i had you in my fantasy <laughs> yeah yeah you know I, I get that weird look yeah and and i get that a lot you know i had you on my fantasy team and boy we're gonna miss seeing you play and you was such a, a joy to watch play and i appreciate that from a lot of people i've right. gotten that a lot uh since i retired yeah i've 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 done the you know the daddy and me classes from time to time, the circle time yeah. and in the pre-K and right. stuff like that, where you're sitting there. And uh, I don't know if you've been, have you, have you, I don't know if you've done this with, with your kid at the uh, pre-K, 
Is your son's how old? How he's old? two. He's two. So he but, hasn't done that yet. Well, actually, my son actually goes to a, a school, uh, a Montessori school. Okay. And so, um, you know, so he's he's doing the school stuff. Right. And um, like, what what's he doing right now? The 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 sort of tumbling around and, and oh, he's or, running. He's running. He's, he's running. He's running. Does he have lateral movements like oh, like dad? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's running. He's jumping. He's doing all kinds. Is of he stuff. tear dropping? Does he have a teardrop? And, and not, not quite yet. He's getting close to the teardrop. That's the next thing <laughs> that we're we're teaching him. <laughs> Got to know how to teardrop. Yeah, you have to if, know if that, he's your that's, son. That's, so, so you're you're doing a lot of the daddy stuff, yeah. and um, and part of that just started speaking to you as you make your football career decision. That's yeah. what was going on with you. Well, you, you know, I, I thought about could could I invest. You know, another year, emotionally, mentally, you know, and and to giving it my all, and and not, you know, half doing it, and and at the end of the day, I said no, no, you know, because here's the thing, I remember last year, and I remember calling my wife. We was on the road somewhere. We was playing somebody on the road. And it was Saturday afternoon. I was laying in my hotel room. I called my wife, and I said, hey. What are you guys doing? And she said, I got the kids at the museum, and we're just having a good time. And, Rich, I'll tell you, that was the first time where I ever didn't want to be there playing football. I wanted to be with my family. And I knew at that point that the beginning of the end was was coming because once you get to that point where mentally, you know, you're somewhere else at times, you know that the end is coming. And so as the weeks went by, as the season got closer to being over, like the last couple of weeks, I would say to myself, this is this is my last couple of weeks coming to this building. This is my last week I will ever practice. The last game we played Miami, walking off that field, I knew. I said, you know what? This is the last game I will ever play. Really? You just I, I just had a feeling. I just knew it was it. So there was there a part of the, part of you that, that still didn't believe that? That allowed you that 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 ha- caused you to not hang him up on the spot and and go through uh, an off season and a free agency period. There was, is that what that was? Well, I, I wanted to I wanted to really make sure, you know, I didn't want to make a quick decision, and and right after season, after a long season of saying I'm done, you know, I, I want to wait and, and obviously I wanted to see some opportunities that was going to be out there if I would want to take them opportunities, you know, if I would want to do it. And at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play anymore. And it was just time for me to, to hang them up. Is that just your nice way of saying the jets beat it out of you? No, (laughs) no. It went down with the jets last year. Just beat it. Just right out of you. No, I mean, (laughs) no, you know, it's uh, like I said, it's emotional and mentally. A lot of times people, you know, obviously people see the physical part of it. It's a physical game, but you know, mentally, emotionally it's draining, winning, losing sometimes every week trying to make the playoffs, trying to win that championship. And quite honestly, Rich, that was the only reason I continued to play. You know, when I left San Diego after nine years, if I had won a championship, I would have retired then. I would have been done with the game. But since I did not continue to chase a championship with the Jets, and, 
You know, at, at some point I had to realize that everybody can't win a championship. In that respect, I do have to ask you about some of the uh, quotes that uh, you made in, in the recent weeks since you've been interviewed with your retirement and the reaction to it. Uh, you were on uh, Florio's show on ProFootballTalk.com. You were asked what you'd prefer, uh, being a player with Super Bowl rings and no Hall of Fame or a Hall of Fame player with no rings. And you chose the Hall of Fame player with no rings and received quite a bit of grief and flack for that, that it was sort of a, an individualistic point of view to take. Uh, do you regret Mm-mm. saying that at all? No, not at all. I don't regret it. Um, I understand that it's a team game. Um, but I don't know what it feels like to be a champion. I've, I've never won a championship. But I do know what it feels like, you know, to be a, a great player, to be dominant. Now, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to to leave a mark on the game. I wanted to, to be special. That's something I, I worked for, you know, and I understand that it's a team game and, at the end of the day, I wanted to win a championship. It's not like I was saying I didn't want to win a championship. I wanted so badly to win a championship. I sacrificed individually so much to win a championship. But when it's all said and done, at the end of the day, you know, I'm happy, you know, that I didn't win a championship, but I think I got a great chance of going to the Hall of Fame, you know. And so it's a tough question. And, and and to be realistic about it, I don't know what it feels like to be a champion. Mm-hmm. Well, and then somebody, uh, an unnamed person, I'm sure you heard about this too, says that your response to that question is one of the reasons why you didn't win. And the same with the Chargers as well. Somebody said that's why the Chargers could never win the big one. This is again to profootballtalk.com saying that you were selfish and a selfish leader and that they had all the talent in the world, should have beaten the Patriots in 06, but they couldn't do it because they had too many guys like LT and he was the ringleader. How do you respond to that, LaDainia? You know, I think everybody has their own opinion, you know, and sometimes, you know, you may rub people the wrong way in the way you go about your business. You know, I can't speak to that. You know, I tried to be the best teammate I could be, you know, when I when I played, you know, and, you know, you're going to get various opinions about you know, the way I did things, the way I carried myself, you're going to get various opinions about it. But I don't think I was a selfish person at all. You know, I think I sacrificed for the team. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we didn't get it done for whatever reason. You know, I I tried my very best. We didn't get it done as a team. Right. It takes a team to get it done, you know. And, you know, so that's just one opinion. An unnamed one. Yeah. Too. Does that, does that no, get on your skin? You seem really. No, I mean. You seem really relaxed right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I think, you know, people sometimes, you know, they they may not even know anything about me, never met me, but for some reason don't like me, you know. And so an unnamed source, right. I, I can't speak for that. Would you subscribe to the long-standing opinion that when a running back hits 30, that's that's the time where he no longer is the running back that we've expected him to be physically and production-wise. Would you, would you say, you know what, I agree with that based on what's happened with your last three years? I, I think it depends on the workload. 
if you're talking about today's game, then no, I don't believe it because running backs don't have the same workload as as I had, a Marshall Falk had, Emmitt Smith, guys like that who carried the ball 300-plus times a year every year. And so obviously it takes a toll on your body, and the older you get, it's harder to bounce back. But today's game where you have two and three running back rotations, a running back can play a lot longer now. They won't have the same amount of touches. It's going to take them a little bit longer to get to that mm-hmm. that mark of however many carries that people say. Once you get to this many carries, you're going to drop off. That number is going to take longer to get to now because you have two and three back rotations. Hmm. So how many time, How many touches would you have on average in a game? 35 sometimes? Touch, Touches. Between, yeah. Yes. yeah Coming yeah, out of the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. Carrying it and just looking for turning over it. and seeing Breeze or Phil Rivers or right. Sanchez throwing in your direction. Yeah, so at least 30, 35, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, 16 games, you know, 11, nine seasons where I did that. So it adds up. <laughs> it adds up. When yeah. you wake up in the morning, do you feel something even today? No, I, well, obviously, you know, you're going to feel something. Back a little tight, sore, you know, for whatever reason, for the over the years of just getting pounded on. But generally speaking, knees, ankles, shoulders, that stuff feels pretty good. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean that. So yeah. you are literally walking away. Right. I'm walking away healthy, and and I look back on my career to be a guy that played one of the most physical positions and never, you know, had to have a surgery, never had a concussion. I'm walking away healthy. You know, and and I always think about this when I've been at a rookie symposium and all the young guys who have just been drafted, the big men on campus, wherever they've come from, the the 250-some-odd young men who have been blessed to be a draft choice in the National Football League, which is a dream of so many young kids. I always look at them and I think, certainly for the running backs, if they could have LaDainian Tomlinson's career, Marshall Falk's career, they'd sign for it on the spot. Mm-hmm. And yet, here you are, a 33-year-old man, needing to try and figure out what to do next. Marshall was a similar age when yeah. he came here to the NFL Network. Are you prepared? I mean, have you talked about it, thought about yeah. the fact that everything that you've done from growing up in Texas to now, that's history. Right. And how many how many young kids don't even know it? If you're going to be, if you are even blessed to even have a chance of being half of Ladanian Thompson yeah. at 33, you better figure out something else to do no question and 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 i started figuring that out a long time ago you know kind of the plan when six seven years in the league you know you start to plan out what's next you know because you have to and and here's the thing going back to a previous question you, you know if i wasn't i'm gonna be honest with you if i wasn't a hall of fame type caliber player i probably would not be sitting here today with you if I was just think about it, if I was just a regular guy on a team that won a championship, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. But because I had the type of career that I had, then it set me up for mm-hmm. stuff beyond football and things to do when I'm done playing. And so knowing that, 
I started to set myself up and, and realize that football don't last forever and there's other things that I would like to do. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. Just letting you know, I'm having a punter in here tomorrow. <laughs> just so you know, punters are people too. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. I'm not just, I don't just go, I don't just go for the top, you know, A1 guys. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, maybe I'm just a little sensitive here. I right. just want to, but I understand what you're. Mike Cypher's partner from San Diego. Is he interesting? Would I? Right. Would he be a good guest? Oh yeah, yes he you would. You sure? Be. Oh yes, yes he would be. I know punters, like I'm saying, I got, I'm having Brian Anger, the kid who was drafted. Oh, drafted by the yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, that's special to be to be <laughs> drafted. A special breed, right? Hey, I'm telling you, to be drafted as a punter, and Mike Cypher's was as well. Uh-huh. By his Chargers, he right. was drafted. Should I do an all punters show? That would be great. I'm sure you get a lot of, you know, the ratings would go out the roof. That'd be a one and done. That'd be a one and done idea. So are you, are you, uh, the, the paparazzi, are you, is this it now? Are you going to join it? Are you joining us? Are you joining us? Is well, that what you want to do? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think it'll be a way for me to stay involved in the game. I mean, because I love football. I mean, I've always, since I was a kid, I enjoyed watching the game. I enjoyed playing the game. I just enjoyed the game. And so I see myself always being involved in it some way. And I, I think this is a way where I can stay involved, continue sure. to be a fan, but also maybe talk about it a little bit. You, you know, be critical. You know, you got to be critical. Yeah, you got to be critical. But, that you know, I think being critical sometimes is being honest. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. It's being honest. Well, if certainly, if it, I think if criticism comes from an honest place in what you're saying, then it's difficult to it's difficult to criticize the person who's being critical. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I'm just being a bomb thrower, just saying stuff just so I can hopefully get a, a tweet out of it or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, that's an issue. Yeah. See, if you come out and do the tiki thing, bash Phil Rivers. Yeah. I would appreciate that, actually. <laughs> I'm sure you, know you would. Oh, the podcast. I'm sure yeah. you would. Just choose the podcast as a place for <laughs> Politiki and start bashing yeah. your, your quarterback. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if it comes from a spot, I think, and people respect your opinion and you say it in a certain manner, I think you're, you're, you're fine in right. this business. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's all, you know, it's all opinions, but, you know, I think it's important to to be honest too yeah. you know if especially if you're a guy who's who's walked that line mm-hmm. if you played in between the lines that people you know may want to listen to you know i think that's important for you sometimes to be be quite honest with them so right. they can get the picture of what it's really like you know in the locker room on the field during the game what it's really like from a guy who who's done it all right so let me ask you this question then it's a paparazzi question um, the Jets, you saw one down last year. Mm-hmm. My opinion is this. You tell me if I'm right or I'm wrong or if I'm close. Everybody's going with Sanchez and Tebow, and how's that going to work? How's it going to work with Sanchez and Tebow together? To me, the one guy to keep an eye on, right around week six, go up to his locker and say, what do you think <laughs> is Santonio Holmes? He's the match that can light that flame. What do you think about that? I think you have a point, you know, because um, Santonio was brought there to be the number one receiver and to catch a lot of footballs through the passing game, through the passing game. And if you're a team that's not going to throw the ball very much, 
that's going to make for an unhappy receiver, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think you're absolutely correct. If week six, if they haven't thrown the ball more than 15 times a game and Santonio, you know, is, is not getting his catches, you may hear some things, him speaking out, him saying some things that is going to rub some teammates the wrong way. It, it could very well happen. But I hope, I hope Santonio learned from what happened last year. And, you know, that's all you can really do. You have to learn from your previous mistakes. But his mistake would be what, though? I mean, right? I mean, he he didn't handle something the right way, well, obviously. Well, what, the last season in your final things, game? Or? Rich, you have to keep in-house. There are certain things you cannot say to the media. Go tell the head coach. Go have a one-on-one with your quarterback, your offensive coordinator, whoever it may be. But there are certain things that you, you can't let out to the media. You know, because it's gonna it's gonna cause too much friction uh, in the locker room between two of your top players, and so it's it's just not the right thing to do. But the reason why with with Holmes, I'm bringing this up too is I, I'm not just going straight. I want the football. the The twist on this is the week six twist is not only just throw me the football, but choose one of them to throw me the football. <laughs> Right, because you got one guy who can throw a ball like Sanchez, and you got another guy who can throw the ball only like Tim Tebow can. That to me is the twist here. It's not just throw me the ball, yeah, but choose one of them to throw me the ball. Enough with this two quarterback guy. But, but what do you I, think about I, that? I, I don't think I don't think that's their plan. I think Tebow is is the wildcat. He's he's their wildcat quarterback. I mean, let's think about it. Since uh, since Rex has been the head coach, he's always had that wildcat guy Brad at Smith. quarterback, yes, Brad Smith. Mm-hmm. Now he's simply bringing it back in Tebow. Now they probably are going to throw the ball a little bit more with Tebow in the wildcat situation, but that's how they that's how they will play it. Mark's our quarterback. Tebow will be our wildcat quarterback whenever we want to ground and pound. Tebow is our guy. Therefore. Santonio may be able to accept that a little bit more than playing musical chairs Hmm. at quarterback. So then how will Sanchez handle it? Because the matter is this. When do you insert Tebow? Do you insert him in your your first 15 scripted no matter what? That he's going to be in that no matter what. Or do you throw him in there when Sanchez is struggling? Would he be able to handle that if he's technically in a way – it's, it'll never be so overtly explained as such, but pulled, pulled from snaps. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, that's tough. I think Tebow will definitely be a part of that first 15 plays, you know, because he's a guy you're going to have to get on the field. He makes plays. I mean, so coaches always want to get the guys that make plays on the field. And so he's going to be part of that first 15 Mark just has to understand that this is a role that Tebow plays every single game. He's going to get his, his, you know, plays. Mm-hmm. And so Mark has to prepare himself to handle that situation the right way, continue to be the quarterback that the Jets need him to be whenever it's time for him to step up and make a play through the passing game, make that play. 
and and prove to his teammates that he's their quarterback. And and we won't have this issue of, oh, are they going to pull Mark and put Tebow in? You won't have that situation. I think it's going to happen. The media is going to make it that way sometimes. Not like creating something out of whole cloth, but there's going to be moments where Tebow wins the game. Right? Yeah. And Sanchez didn't. Uh, uh, and it's it, not like, you know, it doesn't matter who did. Maybe not. Maybe not to the 52 in there. But I, I think you're right. I mean, if that happens, then it's definitely going to create a controversy. If Tebow, let's say the first six games of the season, if Tebow has a hand in winning two or three of them games, you know, at the end of a game, that's the worst thing I think that the Jets could ask for, to be honest with you. Because the media is going to eat it up, and now you're really going to have a quarterback controversy. Who should be the Jets quarterback? That's <laughs> going to be the question. I know. But I, I don't think they – you know what? If, if, if As long as they win, they have – they seem to me right now the Jets have the spell my name right public relations mentality. Yeah. Just spell the name right, J-E-T-S. <laughs> and if you want to put it in the headline – Please be our guest. Put it on the back page. Put it on the front page. J E T S. Spell our name right. That seems to me what that Tebow concept is. Yeah. Right now with them. Now, if they go zero and two, they start at home against Buffalo, and then they're uh, at uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then week three is at Miami. Yeah. Where everybody knows where Tim Tebow, what he did in the last time when they started there, it sparked the whole Tebow mania last year. Wow. Can Sanchez handle it? I think he's I think he's old enough now to handle it. I really do. You know, because he's been through some things his first few years in the league to handle a situation like this now. Um, so I, I think he can handle it. I, I, I really do. And I think the Jets are smart enough to understand, you know, how to handle Sanchez. You know what I mean? How to talk to him, how to, you know, some, I'm just going to say this, Rich. There are certain times where you have to go up to your quarterback, make him feel good, pat him on the back, even through the rough time. You're going to be okay. I think they know how to do that, where they keep Mark focused and they keep him understanding that this is all about the team. And let me say this. That's one thing that Rex does well. He really does that part of it well is making everybody buy into a team concept. With that said, I, I think he'll be able to handle it. And here's the issue, though, with, with, with what you just said and what people have with that concept. Is they're in a division they got to beat Tom Brady twice a year. Does Belichick need to go up to Brady after he throws a pick and throw his arm around him and let him know it's going to be okay? Aaron Rodgers, maybe one of the best in the league. Does McCarthy have to go up to him and throw his arm around him and say, you know what, man, it's about the team. You're you're going to be okay. I mean, that there's a certain aspect to this that if if this is going on years into it in a big boy sport, in a big boy league, in a big boy division mm -hmm. against a big boy opponent, and then they bring in Tebow, maybe they think, He's not the guy. That's the issue. Yeah. That's the, I think, the overarching thing with Mark yeah. Sanchez. And and I understand that because there's a lot of people that feel like that. 
But at the same time, as as the head coach and the general manager, it's your job to know what type of player you have, what makes that player tick, how to get the best out of that player. And so that's part of the job. That's who he is. You know, where somebody like Tom Brady, he doesn't necessarily need that. Aaron Rodgers doesn't necessarily need that. Did no. Breeze ever need that early on? Um, I, I would say early on, yes. Yes, definitely. You know, because as a young player, uh, you know, our rookie year, obviously, Doug Flutie started at, at quarterback. But there, Drew kind of came in, I think, a couple of games, took over. But there were times where you, his younger days, second year, even, I think, third year, where Cam Cameron would need to come up and pat him on the back. Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, stick to the game plan. Understand what we're trying to do. You're going to be fine. That's part of knowing your personnel. And look where Breeze is today. Isn't it amazing what he has become? Yes. I mean, he's... he broke Dan Marino's. It's task. unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I never thought it'd be done. I really, it, unbelievable. And it, and they still he doesn't have a contract. <laughs> I, I I you know we're gonna talk about this a little bit later with uh, with our legal expert Gabe Feldman because uh, of what's going on with Breeze and how he had a. Um, a hearing in front of a special master about how many times he could be franchised by a single team and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Certainly when your head coach has been suspended for a year and he's a head coach with a helmet on his head. Absolutely. I, I don't get, I don't know. I, I don't know the full issue here. What the guy meant means to new Orleans. I mean, he's the mayor of that. T- he may, he can do what he can run that place forever. By the way, the rest of his life, at a time, it's a head scratcher to say time the least. Where they needed it most, when you know, where uh, we're talking about a city that was in a chaos. It was, it was, it was. I mean, Hurricane Katrina just messed the place up. You get a guy like Drew come in. Not only did he do tremendously on the field, but all the work he did in yeah. the community. Uh, you know what I mean? But you know, the, it's a business. Yeah. Didn't you? Didn't you have? One of these type deals? Briefly. 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 When? What was it like? It it was, uh, but my thing, I I still was in training camp and, you know, we was going through a contract uh, situation and eventually it got done. But yeah, there was, there were times where I felt like, should I leave training camp? You know, should I just walk off the field right now? Is this not going to get done? But like you said, it's a business, and at the end of the day, my deal got done. I don't know what's taking this one so long. Well, right now, I think what it is is I think everyone might have been waiting for the ruling on how many times he couldn't be tagged because it's a $3 million difference. And on top of it, you know, it's a 12th hour, 11th, 13th hour league here. You know, it's not until, I guess it's a deadline, July 16th, and then it's training camp. So that's a week from now. I know, but it is unbelievable what Drew Brees has become. I mean, because I can say this, you can't. You were very kind enough to say you were fortunate to have a chance at the Hall of Fame. Your first ballot, and he darn well maybe too yeah. one day. He's <laughs> gonna you. The two of you are gonna have busts in the same room for the rest of your lives. Uh-huh. I, it's wow. unbelievable what Breeze has become. Yeah, and you know what? A quick story about him. When we first, uh, obviously, I knew Drew in, in high school, 
and we played in the all-star game together being from Texas. But, you know, we kept up with each other throughout college. Him being at Purdue, I was at TCU. Both Texas kids that really didn't get recruited highly in Texas. You know, Texas didn't recruit neither one of us. You know, and so we felt slighted in that way. But when we got to San Diego, we made a pact. You know, we said, hey, you and I together, we're going to bring a championship to San Diego. That was the pact we made when we first got off the plane after the draft in San Diego. We said to each other, we're going to bring a championship to San Diego. Well, that never happened, but for him to 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 do it, to that dream of winning a championship in a special place like New Orleans in a time where they needed it so much, I'm so proud of him and what he's done and what he's become. It's pretty neat stuff. Before I, I let you go, um, I want to talk dog rescue with you. <laughs> I've always wanted to talk this with you because I know you and your wife um, are huge advocates of rescuing yeah. dogs and animals too, right? Just not just yes. dogs, but cats and what? Why? What's wh- well? What, what's your? We we have a um, a pet resort, snug pet resort down in San Diego, where I mean we work with a lot of pets, and that's what we do. I mean we have always been, um, you know, just pet lovers. We have always had dogs and. And part of our thing as Snug is is rescuing uh, animals and finding a home for them, you know, because pets are like our, our, our kids. There's no question. They, they, they are. You our know. dog was our first child. Ours too, the same way, and we treat them like kids. We, we really do. Yeah. And so if that's the case, why wouldn't you treat, you know, why wouldn't you rescue animals that are, you know, in a, 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 a desperate situation, you know, that needs a home, a family, why wouldn't you do it? If you have the capability and you have the means to do that, as we do at our pet resort, that's the only right thing for us to do is to find homes for, for animals. And in this economy, so many people have to move out of their apartments and then they move into a new one that doesn't accept pets. Yeah. Or in this economy, they lose their job, and obviously they've got, they've got they've got to circle the wagons in such a way can't afford the pet, yeah. and then we'll just abandon them, yeah. even though deep down that's not their initial uh, knee jerk reaction to do that. Wow. There are so many foreclosed houses that 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 pets are found inside, where people just they, they can't bring the pet, they can't afford the pet, and it is just an absolute freaking heartbreak. Right, it is. And you know. there has to be, you know, we have to reach out a little bit more to people in situations like that. Sure. To, to tell them where to go, what to do. There's an option. There's an option. You don't just have to, you don't have to just leave the pet there, you know, to to die or to starve or whatever, to fend for itself. There's a different way, you know. And just like, I I just think it's unbelievable that you have people that, do babies like that you know what i mean sure so why wouldn't we think people would do pets like that where can people uh is there a website or a phone number snugpetresort.com snug pet resort snug pet resort.com okay go to our website you know and we'll help you good for you lt you've already i might as well throw this out there (laughs) you've already learned one of the crucial shortcuts in the television business put the shirt and tie on no long pants. Just put the shorts on. 
Hey. You just, <laughs> I did Sports Center that way. Wow. For years. Wow. Yeah, because you're behind Similar a desk. I mean, desk. unfortunately, in this podcast, we don't have a full on desk, but if you're behind a desk, yeah, no one can see. The only issue is for you, you know, you're, you're a professional, world class athlete. You could still wear the shirt like that. Me, I would look like a. a <laughs> A rumpled mess. I'd have to sit on the back of it to sort of make it look great. But you've, you've already, and I don't have the calves, as what Chris Brockman just said in Th- my ear. Thanks for pointing that out. I didn't want anyone to know I had shorts. So no, you did. I, I no, we're full. We're full. We're full. You know, reveal here. Uh, but that, but you, you're already learning a trick of the trade, which is very impressive. Thank you. Very impressive. LT, good luck to you. I, I hope it. we get to work. I hope we do get to work. I know that there's many different options you're probably going to have and issues going on, but thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You bet. That's Ladanian Tomlinson back on the Rich Eisen podcast. We're going to now move on into a completely different, in a completely different way. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, if it's the uh, off season, if it's the summer, it must be a federal court time for the NFL and the NFL Players Association. That makes it two for two, two summers, two times that we're uh, we're seeing some folks in front of federal judges. This is awesome. This is what football is all about, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, and Chris Brockman, I got a tweet the other day from somebody saying, is it possible that teams are going to two running backs instead of the bell count back to avoid future litigation? And I retweeted that saying, like, what it's, did a, you it's say? a new, new book, Kessler Ball. There you go. It's Kessler Ball, everybody. <laughs> I, so uh, I'm always, as you know, as I mentioned again at the top, loath to to hit the legal stuff because a lot of fans want to talk football, certainly this time of year. Exactly. But there is one person who makes it interesting to he talk d- about this abs- stuff. No doubt. And that's why we've got him back on the podcast. Just when you thought we'd never call Gabe Feldman, the director of sports law uh, at the sports law school at Tulane University and the Tulane University Law School professor, just when you thought we'd never chat with gabe again on this podcast here he is again gabe thanks for coming back on thanks for having me back on i've been waiting for the red phone to ring (laughs) (laughs) is it is it in the 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 um the statue of shakespeare like it was back in the old wayne manor do you remember that they popped shakespeare's head open Press the button and went down the bat pulse. Here, it's Vince Lombardi instead of Shakespeare. Nicely done. Yeah, but or, you, you think it'd be a green phone with, for the green wave? It could be that, right? Is there who is who is who would who would we go with as the greatest Tulane Sean football King? player? No, football player. Would we go Sean King? Uh, Matt Forte. Matt Forte. Oh, okay, that's right. right. Okay, Gabe. Let's make heads or tails out of this, shall we? Um, sure. what, what is going on right now, I guess, between the league and the Players Association? To me, you tell me if I'm wrong. To me, it seems like the perfect test case for D. Smith and the Players Association to get out of the CBA the commissioner powers that they could not collectively bargain out of it last summer because they... All of them, except for the Pittsburgh Steelers, thought this was not an issue to flush a season down the toilet over. Is that an accurate assessment of what we're seeing right now? I think that's part of it. And I think that even the Steelers would say they weren't willing to flush the whole season down the toilet, but they wanted to fight a little more to try to get some independent review of Commissioner Power in there. But for most of the players, and I think the lawyers involved, this powerful commissioner role here for, for Roger Goodell is nothing new. I mean, this is in the previous CBA. It was in the CBA before that. It's really how the power of the commissioner started way back in the day in, in professional baseball. And I think what probably happened here is if you think about when the commissioner has used these powers in the past, it's been cases like with Ben Roethlisberger or Michael Vick, 
or Dante Stallworth or Plexico Burris. And I think most players in the NFL look at that and say, that's never going to happen to me. Why would I give anything up? Why would I give up a single dollar or anything else in the CBA to fight to get independent review? It's never going to affect me. And I don't think players envisioned something like what's happening now with the bounty scandal happening at all, where a commissioner could say, well, I've got some evidence of some statements that were made. Coaches have come forward. We've got these PowerPoint slides. We've got these tapes of speeches. And based on evidence we think is sufficient to suspend these guys, we're not going to show you that evidence, we can suspend a player for an entire year and another player for eight games without giving them, I think what the players believe is any sort of thing resembling fair process. And so I think you're right that in some ways this is the perfect test case, but I don't think the players or the players' lawyers ever expected to come to this. I think they had hoped and probably thought all along that maybe you get one or two of these types of cases per year, but only in extreme circumstances where there's either been some legal wrongdoing, someone's been arrested or accused of something illegal, not here where you have maybe some scraps of paper and some talk about this bounty stuff. So, so I think this took everyone by surprise. And I, again, I don't think the, when they went into this, the players, the lawyers thought it's only a matter of time before we challenge this. Um, I, I think this has taken everyone by surprise. And the players and lawyers really believe Look, the commissioner should not have the power to do this stuff. Well, um, boy, there's so many different directions to go. Let me go in this direction first. The evidence that the players have seen or not seen, the league says that they have shown them the dead-to-right stuff. Uh, is that – and the players say that they haven't seen anything like that. What, what do we as fans who are on the outside looking in or media on the outside looking in – what should we believe? What should we take in from this? Uh, reading between the lines of, an, of, of somebody like yourself who can do that for us legally. What are we not seeing? What are we hearing from both sides that someone like yourself can say, that's code for something here? Well, we've got evidence, and, and the league turned over all they thought they were required to, and actually more than they thought they were required to, and this set of exhibits they gave to the players three days before the hearing. And it's stuff that refers to kill the head. They kept track of how many times players had killed the head of players on other teams. There are these exhibits that reference Dog the Bounty Hunter. They kept track of, of wax and card-offs. They have a ledger that supposedly shows how much money players were given for these wax and these card-offs. And, and the problem with the evidence is the commissioner interprets it one way to say, look, here's clear evidence that you guys were paying people to try to injure other players. And the players look at it and say, well, we interpret that a different way. That's just wax and cardiffs just mean hard hits. We're not trying to pay anyone for anything illegal here. Is that, why, is, is that why we're seeing the, the players say they haven't seen anything for, that there's a difference between pay for performance and pay to injure? But I'm yeah. seeing this language in all of the statements coming out from players and their lawyers that they haven't seen anything for pay to injure. Pay to performance, they're, I, I don't, well, they're, they're not pleading guilty to it, and I guess pay for performance would not merit right. the punishment. Is that is that what I'm, I'm reading in between those lines yeah, accurately? Yeah, I, I think the players would concede, you've got us on pay for performance. You've got us on offering up money or talking about offering up money for hard hits and for interceptions and for fumbles and those types of things. But you don't have us because we haven't offered money to intentionally injure Brett Favre or any other quarterbacks or any other players. And that's a huge difference. If it's just pay for performance, if it's just pay for big plays, that certainly doesn't warrant an entire year suspension. 
um, or even a couple of game suspension. So, and that comes down to how you interpret the evidence. And here's the big problem for the players: is that's what they bargained away. They bargained away the right to have someone else come in to interpret the evidence. The commissioner was given the right and the authority and the responsibility to look at the evidence and be the sole arbiter of what that evidence means, and, and that's what he's done. And, and, but that's the way it's been forever. I mean, even because I, I always like to use pop culture references because that's sort of the, only, the way my brain thinks, but anybody who saw the movie Eight Men Out or knows about the Black Sox scandal, I'm not saying that this is you know in, in that realm, but what I'm saying is this. The players were put on trial. They were actually in front of a jury of their peers, and the jury of their peers acquitted them. And the next day, the commissioner of baseball, Kenesaw Mountain Landis, comes out and says, all right, you're out anyway. And not only that, for life. Now, if there was Twitter and 24-7, <laughs> you know, a sports talk radio on the Internet back then, I'm sure Landis would have been roasted in a similar manner in which Goodell's being roasted right now. But the commissioner doesn't have to prove things by the shadow of a doubt in a court of law. Correct? Right. Absolutely not. And again, that, that's... That's exactly what the, the players bargained for, and that was the point of the role of the commissioner, starting with Landis. And that's a, that's a good pop culture reference, a good history lesson. And the reason you had Landis brought in was because of the Black Sox handle and because the owner said, look, we don't trust each other to take care of the best interests of the game. We need someone to come in and do it for us. And they had to swear an oath of loyalty to Landis to say, we will not second-guess you. We will not sue you. You are charged with looking after the best interests of the game. And that's what Roger Goodell sees his role as. But does and, it now, is it possible now, though, with what's happened, that the commissioner may now have to prove the bounty case in a court of law based on what has happened with the federal lawsuits that have been filed uh, and now consolidated, correct, under uh, the purview of one judge down there in New right. Orleans? Right. They, they've all been consolidated down here in New Orleans in federal court, but, but the commissioner won't have to prove his case, and, and here's where the, the lawsuits, I think, runs into its biggest obstacle from the player's perspective, is really what the players are trying to challenge is, is the equivalent of an arbitrator's decision, and courts very rarely overturn an arbitrator's decision, because they say, look, the parties agreed to have this person, in this case the commissioner, decide whatever this dispute would be. And the only reason a court would step in to overturn that decision is if they found that the commissioner was biased against the players for some reason or prejudged the case, or if his result was what the language is arbitrary and capricious. So it's not enough for the players to say, look, we think the commissioner was wrong. It has to be that there is no possible way that anyone looking at this evidence could have reached the same conclusion as the commissioner. Mm. So it's a really high burden for the players intentionally, because... If you want to have arbitration, if you want to have these things resolved outside of court, you can't have players challenge the result every time they don't like it. Otherwise, you'd, you'd never have people go to arbitration. Because what's the point if you then have to litigate it all over again? So what are the players going to have to do in this case in order to, I guess, have a, this would be a landmark decision, correct, in all of sports? If, if, if this federal judge in New Orleans rules that the commissioner had no right to, to punish the players in the manner in which he punished them. This would be a landmark decision, correct? Yes. I mean, it would be landmark for a, for a judge to step in. We've had times where arbitrators have, have reduced suspensions from commissioners, but this would be different because that was part of an appeal process. This would be players going outside of that appeal process. And, and I think what's really more likely to happen here, 
if it happens at all, I don't think this is likely, but I think it's more likely than the judge overturning the suspensions, is the judge saying you need to provide them with more process. You need to give them more evidence. You need to actually give them a real appeal. And an appeal doesn't mean you invite them to come over and state their case. An appeal means you show them your evidence against them, and then you allow them to question witnesses and to look at all of the evidence you have against them. And, of course, the league says they don't have any right to that. If this were court of law, they'd have a right to that. But, again, they agreed to a very different, a much narrower process. And this is how we started the conversation. Really what the players are trying to do is get an end around the CBA. They're trying to get from a court what they couldn't get through the CBA negotiations, and courts don't like to do it. So it it would be a landmark decision. It would be a huge upset. It's unlikely it'll happen. But the the players are going to take a shot. And as you said, this is a pretty good test case for it because we've never had a suspension like this before. Well, uh, it it seems to me, Gabe, you tell me if I'm wrong in this too, it sounds like a Mad Lib where we just remove the phrase open the books and put in open the evidence from last year's argument where they were like, if you think you are losing money under the CBA, open the books. Let's see it all. And now it's like, if you think this was a pay-for-injure program, open the evidence. Let's see it all. And the question is, is why hasn't the league gone out and just thrown it all out there? Is it to protect somebody? Is it because they don't have this dead to rights? That's what a lot of people are thinking out there. And the Players Association, as any good litigator would do, is is throwing a lot of doubt at the jury being the fan base right now out in the NFL. That's what this seems like to me. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons, at least, why the commissioner isn't turning over the evidence. And you're right, there are certainly some parallels here in terms of the, the open the books versus open the evidence up. But one is, as you mentioned, to protect the identity of the accusers, of the whistleblowers. Uh, I do think that I'm sure they gave some assurances to these witnesses that said, we won't reveal your name in the course of the investigation if you fess up. Um, the second one, and I don't think people are talking about this one as, as much, is the commissioner, I think at least in part, although they've never explicitly said this, but I think in part they're worried about everyone second-guessing the evidence. They're worried about exactly what people are doing now based on the little evidence they've overturned, that they'll say, wait a minute, you have 18,000 documents we disagree with your interpretation of 17,000 of them, and here's why. And from the commissioner's perspective, everyone else's interpretation of those documents is irrelevant. If those perspectives mattered, or if, if the players wanted those perspectives to matter, they had to put that in the CBA. So I, I think the commissioner was worried about having everyone and their cousin second-guess his decision. But they're and, doing it anyway because they think that maybe there's something they're hiding. Well, and that's where I think the commissioner may have erred a little bit here. Uh, That's where I think he opened himself up to this type of challenge. Because you had to balance the second-guessing of the evidence you were going to reveal against the second-guessing of the evidence that you didn't reveal. And now people are saying, well, if you are going to punish someone for an entire year, or Anthony Hargo for eight games based on a video that you now claim doesn't say what you originally thought it said, um, shouldn't you show us something? Isn't that only fair? And really, that's, that's part of the player's argument is, look, we understand we made the commissioner the judge jury and executioner, but it doesn't mean we're not entitled to some fundamental fairness here. We may have gotten a bad deal on commissioner discipline, but we still get what we bargained for. 
So I, I might sell someone a brand new car for $1,000. It's a terrible deal, but I still want my $1,000. The players claiming here right now, they haven't gotten their $1,000. They are entitled to a fair hearing in front of the commissioner, and they haven't gotten it yet. And so, so I, and this, I think part of this comes down to what people said, and I agree with it, just because the commissioner maybe can do this, maybe doesn't have to reveal all the evidence, doesn't mean he should do this. I think if he had been a little more open with the investigation, he probably would have shut down this lawsuit. What do we make of the fact that Greg Williams copped and and bolted from the scene uh, right away without doing what the players are doing right now, which is vehement denial, taking it to the legal limit, the fact that he just said, I got it, I did it, here's my release, adios, I, I'll hope to see you next year, and Sean Payton... He, you know, appealed, but when he lost his appeal, he did not take to a legal remedy. Could we read into that that perhaps the players aren't being as forthright as possible or the fact that the commissioner holds such a power over them to be that they they serve uh, at their jobs at the pleasure of the commissioner technically. And if they sued the boss they wouldn't get another gig in the same manner that Vilma can always make tackles if, as long as he's got the closing speed, and the same with Fujita, and the same with Will Smith and Hargrove. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's part of it. I also think it's these coaches have much longer careers ahead of them, in the NFL at least, that you're right, Vilma can always get a job if he can still make tackles and still has a closing speed, but if he doesn't fight this suspension, his career might be over. It's not clear that Jonathan Vilma can sit out a year at his age and return to the NFL. And I think for Sean Payton and for Greg Williams, I thought, well, we can take the hit for a year and then come back, and we can go do something else for a year. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that the commissioner had something on them. Whether or not this was pay to injure versus pay for performance, they were told to stop whatever it is they were doing. And they told the commissioner they had stopped it on multiple occasions, and the commissioner caught them. And the question is, what did he catch them doing? Did he catch them in a pay-for-performance versus pay-to-injure scheme? I don't think it mattered to the commissioner. Mm-hmm. If you lie to the boss, you're in trouble. That was, a, that was the, the, uh, with the Sean Pamphlon video uh, or audio. To me, that was the, the most galling aspect of it. It's not just what he was saying, but if you put it in the context of that was two weeks after the league reminded right. the, the Saints, oh, by the way, we're on to you again. We're looking into this thing, so if and, it's going on. And that he knew a camera was right. there and rolling. <sighs> right. I mean, all of, I mean, that the perspective, putting putting that pregame speech into that perspective, Right. that's and, just like, oh, my goodness. And that's a, a sort of a slap in the face to the commissioner. Oh, and even God. if it's hyperbole, even if no one meant to kill anyone's head, you still you've been told to cut that stuff out. You didn't do it you're going to get hit hard. Mm. And and remember, you, what we haven't talked about yet is that specter of the concussion litigation hanging out. Uh, well, I mean, how much of that uh, is, is motivating the league in, their, in, in laying down the hammer here? I don't Do think, think very much, to be honest. I, I just can't imagine that the league is overly concerned about the suspensions they hand down for whatever happened from 2009 to 2011 when they're facing thousands of lawsuits or thousands of plaintiffs, lawsuits for injuries that may have occurred from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s. I just, I think the connection is so loose that this just makes no sense for the commissioner to say, I'm going to come down hard on Vilma 
to try to protect ourselves in this litigation. If that's their best defense, then they're in trouble. Well, so short from what you're saying, short of there being an email from the commissioner to somebody or from somebody to the commissioner saying, you need to rule this way even though we're not so sure, or the commissioner saying, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I, I know that they may not be guilty, but I got to do this. Short of that smoking gun, do the players win in this federal court case? I mean, what do they have to come up with in order to get their dream scenario, which is, uh, I imagine, not only getting these punishments thrown out, but the commissioner's power to punish them in this manner thrown out as well? I don't think the latter happens at all. I don't see any way that a judge would be willing to rewrite the CBA or, or force the parties to rewrite the CBA. He might explain what the CBA means. He might say that the appeal right that the players were given means more than the commissioner has interpreted it as, and it actually means that you have an opportunity to see the evidence being used against you and that you have an opportunity to know the names of your accusers. Um, an opportunity to, to, to cross-examine the witnesses, that that's what a hearing means, because it's not defined in the CBA. But I don't see any way a judge comes in and says, this process is unfair, I'm going to rewrite it to put in independent review or something along those lines. But in terms of getting the suspensions reduced or in terms of actually forcing the commissioner to turn over some evidence, that could be it. It's a long shot, but, but if the judge looks at this and says, hey, you promised the players an appeal, and even though you made the initial decision and the appeal comes back to you, if the appeal has any meaning, you've got to give them something more than you did when you first punished them. You've got to turn over some real evidence. And the exhibits you turned over weren't enough, so we need to see more than that. But, but I just think these are such long-shot arguments. But short of that smoking gun, you're going to have to have a judge come in. And it's not impossible to have a federal judge in New Orleans say that these players in New Orleans were treated unfairly. But you're going to have to have the judge come in and say, they are entitled to a fair process. He didn't give them a fair process, and here's what the fair process means. So either go back and do it over, or you guys have to agree on some neutral arbitrator to come in. And you know, one way that could resolve this, and certainly we heard all about this during the lockout, is they can try to get a mediator involved. Oh, say, Let's... Not George Cohen. Please, not him again. <laughs> come on. It's... Breer can't stand outside on that street corner one day longer. Come on. It, may, it might be it. Arthur, Arthur Boylan. I mean, he, he's... Oh, well, he, well, I mean... They they like him, right? Everybody <laughs> likes him. Yeah, they have their own mediators down here. It will not be George Cohen. You can rest assured. But but okay. I, I think that's a long shot, too. I think as important as the players see this to them, as important as Jonathan Vilma sees this to him and his career, I think Roger Goodell sees it as equally as important to the role of the commissioner, the power of the commissioner, and his ability to protect the integrity of the game. I mean, if Vilma or Fujita, Hargrove, um, and Smith get a day less it's a strike against the league and the commissioner in his powers, correct? I mean, even if it's just one game less, the fact would be that would be harmful in, in the commissioner's mind, correct? At this point there's in time, no the, the, the lines are drawn. There's really no, there's no compromise left now. Right, right. And, and there's no question it would be a big strike against him because we know what happened every time the commissioner disciplined someone. Oh, they would my goodness. Yeah, right. And, again, if that's what the process was meant to do, then they would have put it in there. They would have put some outside review, but, but they didn't. So, right. so yeah, I, I think the, the, there's the room for compromise, though, and this is where the players may have hurt themselves, is they could have participated in the appeal, and they didn't. 
They well, they were. Up. We we all know what's going on. They were laying the groundwork for for this. Even even Vilma's lawyer was saying uh, Vilma basically was tweeting like, "Now it's time to get down to it." You know, or and and when they were waiting for the commission to rule, Vilma's like, "Why isn't he ruling so he could finally get on <laughs> with the next step?" You know, they've basically said, you know, they they did that on purpose, right? Well, to, they did to, to lay down clearly, the groundwork for what they've done in federal court. Correct. It was clearly tactical, but but I, I think it may backfire on them because they said, "Look." We don't want to validate this process. We think it's completely unfair, and we're not going to participate in something that we think gives us no chance of success. So we're just going to not show up or show up and not say anything and, and then sue. But I don't know why you don't present whatever evidence you have. I think the commissioner probably would have reduced some of the suspensions, not completely eliminated them, probably would have reduced them, and then you sue. You think he would have? I think You really would've. think the commissioner would have? I don't know, Gabe. I... I I think he, if he had come out of that appeals process saying, you know, I heard everything, it's just eight games for Vilma. Eh, you know, it's just four games. You know, I mean, I don't know. Because I, I, I think that what that would have just set off the whole firestorm of, well, if it was there a pay for performance or not? Was it pay for injure or not? Because well, he- then it would have been just like, well, then what's this all about? If you thought, you know... Boom. Then, then, then they came up with something that refuted the investigation that you have based everything on from Williams to Peyton to Vitt to all of these guys. You know, I, I don't know if he really would have done that, to well, be honest. Here, here's why I think he, he should have done it, and I, and I believe he, he may have done it. And I believe even if the players came forward now, he still might do it, is because that appeal right and the whole process in the CBA, I, the commissioner wants to protect it. Remember, it's in there for nine more years, and I think the commissioner would like it in the CBA after this, that if there is a right to appeal, the players have to win sometimes. Otherwise, what does the appeal right mean? Well, I well, think they do sometimes, right? I mean, isn't some of them, isn't some of these, uh, didn't, didn't the commissioner reduce Vic's suspension at some point? I mean, well, he, he did. He reduced he, Roethlisberger. Or Roethlisberger's, and, it, and that, boy, did he get heat for that. I mean, so, and even Vic himself told the rookie symposium recently, all you got to do is be truthful with Roger and he'll love you to death, is what he said. So, I, I mean, man, you're right. I mean, this is a, a, a sticky situation, you know, because, and let me ask you this question then, because um, I'm sure you get asked this all the time in New Orleans. I was just there to, to shoot an episode of uh, of The Great Escape, which I know you're a big fan of, Gabe. I know you TiVo it. Don't, I, don't do I, I do. I do. My wife and I watch it. There you go. I knew, all, I knew all the... somehow you were going to have to work Great Escape <laughs> in this conversation. Rich. Well, I was in New Orleans for it. All right. I wouldn't have mentioned it otherwise. Okay. And everybody there, cabbies, waiters, everybody, hotel folks, they're nervous. They think the Saints season is circling the drain. And also, because Breeze is unsigned, and I want to hit you on that before I let you go too, Gabe, based on the, the arbitrator's uh, ruling on, on that was special master, I guess, on that. Um, they're nervous. And so I'm sure you being in Tulane, you're asked this all the time. And I'd love for you to put a little bit of your fan hat on too. Um, what do you think happened? I get this all the time. Do you think there was a pay for injure? And do you think this is all in all a, a proper handling of the situation by the league. I, I mean, just ask you that. Just you as everything together. You've seen all this evidence and do, or what's been presented, and you've read the documents and the federal lawsuit. You know where everybody's coming from. What do you think happened? I, I, I think, again, I, I've only seen the small portion of the evidence. Okay. But I, I just don't believe 
that the commissioner would suspend a player for an entire year unless they had considerable evidence to support it. And I just don't see what benefit the commissioner gets out of it. And that's one thing that the fans down here have been talking about a lot in chat rooms and talk radio is that the commissioner has it out for the Saints. And they don't want the Saints to be in the Super Bowl the year that the Super Bowl is in New Orleans. And none of those conspiracy theories make any sense to me. And I mean, the league, the league could not have been more, right? I mean, when, right. when the Katrina hit? Yeah. I, I so, know it was Tagliabue in the chair, but it was Roger Goodell right next to him when that happened. Yeah, he, was, I, he was right there. So, so yeah, so I, I think they've got evidence of, of something that was illegal. And w- was it a plan to knock Brett Favre out of a game or, or knock other quarterbacks out of a game? I, you know, I don't know exactly what they have, right. but, but I have to believe they have something that would warrant a lengthy suspension. My problem with, with the handling of all this, though, is that if you are going to suspend someone for an entire year, I do think you have to be a little more transparent with the process. And by giving the year-long suspension and not turning over much of the evidence, again, I think he invited this litigation. I think if you're, if you're going to do the year, turn over more evidence, or I think suspend Vilma eight games, suspend him six games, because I, I, for me, I don't see much of a difference in if you're really trying to make a statement to protect player safety, and if you want to make a statement about the concussion litigation, mm-hmm. I think six games makes a pretty good statement. I don't statement. think it has to be a year. year. So, you know, without having seen the evidence, right. I just don't see why the league, with some very smart people, some very smart lawyers, and a very smart commissioner, would suspend someone for a year without any evidence. Yeah, well, uh, my jaw hit the floor when I saw the film was suspended for a year. My jaw hit the floor. Remember, I only thought Peyton was going to get four or five games. A long well, coach time ago. is a different story. Coach is a different story because the coach has a, a responsibility. He's, uh, it's in his contract too, and and uh, but I guess and the just... league, the league, essentially, this person is employed at the pleasure of the league. I guess that just Period. went back I mean, to my feeling that it wasn't as serious as it eventually came out that it was. The whole, see, the I mean, when the boss point. says "come clean" and you don't, right, right. I mean, I, that's, I think that's a huge part of it. I think that it has was, to uh, be if, leading the league. Yeah, that has to be. That has to be part of it. So time frame it for me here because Vilma, these guys want to get in training camp in three weeks. And, I mean, there's a Hall of Fame game being played less than a month from now with the Saints involved. Uh, what, what's the time frame on this? Are, they gonna ha- are these players going to have their day in court with the league before training camp's open? I mean, I know the wheels of justice grind slowly. We just came off a, a week with a national holiday right in the middle of it. So what's the what's the ball? How, how is this going to play out? Time frame was. I remember having this exact conversation with you last. Yes, I, I'm having flashbacks, <laughs> dude. Don't make me do this anymore. I just I, I'm not mentioning the North LaGuardia. Act. No, yeah, you be happy that's I not knew you'd here. use the NL thing. The, you can't go North LaGuardia on me, dude. Okay, so um, time frame it. What's the so, deal? The what's interesting here is we've got the four players filing suit, and as you said, they've all been consolidated. But Vilma's the only one who's asked for the injunction so far. And my understanding and my expectation is that his lawyers will file something and try to ask for a hearing right around July 16th or 17th, because the judge who's hearing the case is actually out of the country until the 16th. So I would expect something wow. to happen that week of the 17th or the 18th. They've got a settlement conference set for the 23rd. I don't think much will What does that mean? That. What do you mean by that? That everyone gets together and... and Right, because, well, I mean, it's just it's a matter of course. That's what happens when you file a lawsuit. The judge sets up a settlement conference to get the parties together to figure out where they are, what their positions are, and if there's any room for a possible settlement. And as we said, 
I just don't see a lot of room for settlement here. So the judges, this thing's going to go to a judge decision. And uh, did they impanel a jury? Are there going to be 12 people no, in not, New Orleans? Or what, no, what type of case is <laughs> No, it'll be yeah, 12 fans with Bilma uh, <laughs> jerseys on sitting in the, in the jury box. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's all up to the judge, right? That's it? Right. This okay. will be a judge deciding just like Judge Nelson did whether or not there should be an injunction right. or, or here a temporary restraining order first while the case proceeds to trial. And it is a true, true long shot for Vilma to get the injunction here because courts don't like to give out injunctions, and it's just so unlikely that Vilma will win the case down the road that it's just going to be doubly tough for him to get the injunction. So assuming he doesn't get the injunction, then I, then I think Jeff Kessler, on behalf of the other players... I miss him, by the way. I really I'm, miss him. I'm sure you do. I miss him. I miss I'm him. Sure he misses you as well. I wish he was around more. <laughs> Sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, they'll ask for an expedited hearing on the case, and the league's going to file a motion to dismiss to say that there's a reason we have a 300-page collective bargaining agreement. There's a reason we spent months negotiating this thing. The power of the commissioner was front and center on the table during the negotiations. They agreed to it. They can't complain about it now, and this case should be booted out. And, again, that's the most likely result. Really? And if it gets beyond that and the judge says we're not going to dismiss it, and then you start getting into potential discovery, I mean, then these things really start to drag now, out. With discovery, but, but, think, but discovery, though, wouldn't you say that the Vilma wants discovery? He wants to. Well, that's what they're they, – yeah. they really want discovery because that way the league would be compelled to, to maybe cough up something that they have been holding on even for whistleblower purposes, right? Wouldn't right, that, and that gets into his defamation lawsuit, which is obviously a separate lawsuit that's been brought together here, and that's really the end game of that suit is, is to say, look – you, you're calling my client, or Vilma saying you're calling me a guy who put money on the table to injure other players. That's a lie, and the only way you can prove it's not a lie is by showing us the evidence to support it. So let's let's see the evidence. So he's trying to get to that evidence one way or the other. Um, but again, the league's going to say that claim shouldn't be brought. That's preempted by the CBA. That's all within the scope of the power of the commissioner, because it all comes back to. The commissioner looking at even the, the documents they released, the commissioner is willing to say just based on this evidence alone and some corroborating statements I've heard, that's sufficient to warrant the year suspension for Vilma and the eight games for Hargrove and, and the other guys as well. And we don't need any additional discovery, and the judge can't order it because otherwise they'd be undoing the, the CBA. But is, in that case, the defamation suit isn't Vilma's uh, level of proof? similar to what you mentioned for this uh, other case, that he had, they have to prove that the league was reckless, that knew differently or otherwise, and We're, went ahead right. with it anyway? Isn't that, well, is that what he has to prove, or that burden is not there? No, yeah. For, for a defamation claim for a public figure, you have to shoot, pro, prove actual malice, which was not only that Roger Goodell lied about Jonathan Vilma, but that he knew he was lying about Jonathan Vilma. Well, I mean, that but that that intention. is so tough to prove, wouldn't it? It just seems that... He's filing that suit to get to that discovery and get that stuff yeah. out there. Yeah, and, and his lawyer has said as much. That, that, that's the are they going to do that? Are they going to get to? Are they going to have that day? You think? I, I think it's very uh -huh. unlikely because again, the, the league's going to say this is preempted by the CBA. That that you don't get to come into court if you're unhappy with the way that the CBA is unfolding, or right. that the league the, the rules are being executed, uh, and that's just what's happening here. The commissioner is acting in his collectively bargained role. To be the judge, jury, and executioner. Is there? Is there? Are we going to go to the appeals? Are we going to go to that uh, that appeals?
record again that there's three people. <laughs> it, it won't, are we won't going be there. Are we going there? Are we going there? Are we going there again? Is we we the might. Circuit? I mean, we, we were certainly. What was it? The eighth circuit. Eighth circuit. Was it the eighth circuit or something? No, it'll be the fifth circuit down here. Fifth yeah. circuit. Oh, fifth so it's not. They're, they're not no, going to Missouri, is it? They're not going to Minnesota. No, we have at least better food. <laughs> okay, so we got we got uh, we got we got three judges who are, who are waiting in the bullpen, right? They're waiting. Yeah, in, the wings? in in Atlanta is likely where in Atlanta. Be. Yeah, but but um, are we going there? Oh, sorry, no, they won't be in Atlanta. They'll they'll be down here. Okay, they'll be down here. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, but but if you guys make it down here, and you know, no, we got we have the Saints at uh, at and in Atlanta. Actually, that's a Thursday night game that we're very much looking forward to. Because to me, and that and that brings us to this final uh, question about Breeze. To me, I think the Saints' season is not down the tubes. Personally, I think you're in the minority, Rich. No, no, no. I mean, people say that, but I, if if Breeze is signed and delivered, he is the coach with the helmet on. Okay. Now I understand Peyton is Sean Peyton is stupendous, and he's been a coach of the year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. But Breeze, if Breeze is under center from from Jump Street. And two of the guys who were suspended aren't on the team anymore anyway. But they have an interim to the interim coach. I understand that. I understand that. But if the, who was the – it's Pete Carmichael, right, who coached the team when Sean Payton couldn't stand on his own two feet because he blew, has, had his knee blown out. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, Gabe, they, they beat the Colts that day 61 to nothing. Well, that's yes, – <laughs> I know it's it the Colts. I know it's the Colts. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I, I don't think – you can't sit here and say the Saints season's over. Now, the well, Saints no, se- Saint season's over if Breeze doesn't sign, right? which I don't think is ever going to happen. I mean, he's not going to sit out. Okay. But uh, to me, two of the four guys who were suspended uh, aren't even on the team anymore. And Smith, they've already played a quarter of a season without before and, mm-hmm. and, and acquitted themselves very well. And Vilma, Vilma's obviously the big issue. It's Vilma and Peyton. That, that to me is, and how much is that going to affect the Saints season, Right. I mean, there's there's fifty some odd other guys on the team, and if th- those guys are are as good as anybody else, well, there were fifty some other guys on the Colts last year. But Bill is no Manning. Ah. Well, no, I'm just saying. But the coaches. So again, I, I, I know I'm in the minority there. I'm, I'm with you, Rich. Though I, I, to me, I'm the Saints, the Saints are a very good team. Yeah, and, and I think well, this on, is the construct, on the construct point. of that division too. I I don't think you could sit here and say the Saints aren't gonna aren't gonna have no chance of winning that division. Breeze is as good as they get. They got to get him in. And to that respect, Gabe, what just happened with, with the ruling? Basically, can you explain that in in layman's terms for what just happened and how that might facilitate Breeze with the Florida Lee on the side of his head sooner than later? Yeah, I mean just just to simplify, the, the, there was a the. Franchise tag provision in the CBA, which is wildly complicated, but the, the question was really how many times has Breeze been tagged, and the Saints and the league argued that it really only counts when an individual team tags you. So you start from zero when he moves to the Saints from the Chargers, and the Players Association said no, we count when he was tagged by the Chargers, and the reason it matters is because you get more money each successive time you're tagged. And so if it started from zero, Breeze would be due less money this time he's tagged and the next time he's tagged. If it started from one, and well, actually this would have been two because the Chargers tag, then Breeze makes that much more money in the succeeding years. And this was one of those things where you look at the CBA, you can interpret it both ways, that it could either be it only counts for when you start, it starts over when you get the new team or it continues from the old team. 
and it was up for an arbitrator to just make a decision. It was really a 50-50 call, and he agreed with the players and the Players Association. And so now Breeze will be due more money, and it's about, I think, 3 or $4 million more the next time he's tagged, which will help set the, the market. And just gives Breeze more leverage. Hmm. So it makes. I mean, it makes sense that you know. So so in other in other words, the minute you come into the league, you can be tagged only three times uh, before you get to that level. Doesn't matter how many teams you play on. It doesn't reset just by changing teams. Right. I mean, that right. makes. I mean, I, I know. I know. I'm not one of the billionaires owning the team, but that that only sounds fair. Right, you and know, it was I a mean, question of well, what did the parties intend? And I think I think the answer was they didn't really contemplate this. <laughs> It was just one of the things that kind of fell through the cracks. They didn't envision a situation where a player would be so good, yet he would be tagged by two different teams. So so Breeze is like the Kurt Flood for the top 1% of the National Football League Players Association. The one percenters. Right. Yeah, I guess you can put it that way. I, I think even Breeze would not want to be put in the same category as... As Kurt Flood, I think that's not doing. Uh, I think it's an injustice to Kurt Flood to compare the two. I saw somebody actually did compare him to Kurt Flood recently. I forget what article. It and was. I think it was an injustice when he did it too. I think uh, I saw the same it's, article. It's, it's, right? It's, did you read that too? Did you see that game? I saw the tweet. Who tweeted? Who tweeted that out? Um, somebody tweeted that out, right? I mean, I just like to me, uh, when I read this, I'm like, okay, the price of my box just went down. You know. <laughs> <laughs> for for those out there who can afford it, you know. Well, I mean, so so do you think this facilitates? Th- this gives Breeze more of a hammer, correct? Yeah, either either it's result was going to facilitate. Why it. are they? Why are they even messing around with it? That, that I don't know. I mean, that, that it still surprises me. And, and we know what the PA has argued is that the Saints, which again I think is a, is a unlikely conspiracy theory, but they are retaliating against Breeze because he took such a um, front and center position during the lockout. <laughs> Let me tell you something, and I know I, if the Saints are doing that, they have lost every one of their marbles. I mean, every single one of their marbles. What Breeze I, means to that team in town, it's just that there's no price tag. There is no price tag. There's no price tag. Yeah, I agree. There's no price tag. I don't like to quote Dion that often, but pay the man. Pay the man. Yeah, and they will. They will. I mean, they'll, they've, they've still got another week, and they'll go right up to the deadline. They'll pay him, and we'll all forget about this. And you know, they, it, Why it happened, I, I don't know why it's dragged out so long. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, Mickey Loomis is a tough negotiator, but th- this is not your normal negotiation. And he ended up probably hurting himself a little bit because <laughs> the case went to arbitration. They lost the arbitration. What isn't going on with the Saints right now, especially with the Loomis stuff and all of that. I mean, what in the world is not the season can't come fast enough. They yeah. should they should have done hard knocks. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it would have been amazing. Oh, and they need to sign the uh, the son of my favorite player from my childhood, was, Nick Toon, is, is still waiting to be signed. Is he really? Yeah, Al Toon. Al Toon was my favorite as a, as a Al Toon fan growing up. Great. Wow. Al, number eighty eight. Yep. Al Toon he caught a big pass against the New York Giants in a big game. Late in the year, one year, Altoon was great. Yeah, guy's career got cut short because of concussion. Yes, Gabe, thanks very much. We appreciate it. My pleasure, as, as always. And as always, you know, Gabe, as uh, you you know, I mean this only from <laughs> only from the the sweetest place too, right? You hope to never talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Not never. <laughs> Not never. Well, I would never say never. A year from now, in the NFL, you never say never. Well, I, but, I expect to see you guys when you're down here for the Super Bowl. No, well, uh, yes. Absolutely. And we may see the Saints there, too. 
But you can never say never. I'm never telling say you. Never. You never say never. Thanks so much, Gabe. Appreciate it. My pleasure, as always. You bet. That is Gabe Feldman, the director of sports law at uh, Tulane University and Tulane University sports law professor. Good stuff there. I don't think we bored the people to tears, did we? You no, were in there. You no, were locked no, in. it's 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 pretty fascinating stuff, especially if you care about, you know, the integrity. Right. TD, are you awake in there? Did we did we fall? Did you fall asleep? We lost TD. No, I'm here. I was just saying by the game. Okay, good. Yeah. No, no, but what'd you? I mean, what'd you think? I'm looking for TD's approval. Right. <laughs> no, it was great. You know, I was taking notes, and, you know, all what he was saying, and uh, it was good. It was okay. good, you know, thorough. You know, trying to get like a like a timetable. You know when this whole thing. I'm trying to down. find out. I'm trying yeah. to get brass tacks. I'm trying yes, to get yes. answers. I yeah. think I think there's some serious stuff. I think it, it, it wouldn't. He wouldn't have stuck to the one year suspension if it wasn't worth it. It's just you know fans are saying uh, and you know and the players uh, and their lawyers and the players association have done a great job of doing it because this is exactly if you were litigating this in the court of law you'd say you got to do without beyond a reasonable doubt. And all there is is doubt. All there is. In the minds of a lot of people. But you gave him the power, so you can't be surprised when the power is used. Good good chats with LT and Gabe Feldman. We have an, an absurd number of guests coming in over this the next week, couple of weeks. This week and next week and the week crazy. after. And, it's um, going to be fun. Well, I'm not even going to – I'm not even a lot. We're getting as many in now because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to take off. But we're still putting podcasts together. Uh, Warren Moon, Matthew Hasselbeck in studio. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. You, many people say you'd look like Just Matthew. Like I, I've been he getting does. Matt Don't Hasselbeck does, for a yes. long time. Matthew's in studio. So that would be nice um, to finally meet him. Who, who else are we getting? It? Brian, uh, Brian Anger, Anger the, my guy, the my punter. punter. You, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguar punter, the, the guy who – You banged the, the table punter. for him, Rich, I banged the draft. Well, I banged a lot of stuff. I went you a little did. nutty. Yeah. He's coming in. Well, yeah, when a punter gets drafted in, what, the third round? Come on. John Lynch. He's coming in. And we are in F- studio. Alex Sulkin. Alex Sulkin. The, uh, family guy. Family Ted. guy and Ted Ryder. Yep. He's a big Patriot fan. He's Huge. coming in. Uh, the other ones aren't aren't, we're aren't definite. We're efforting. We're efforting some others. Efforting some um, others. And then um, all good stuff. TD, thank you very much, sir. No problem. You're going to be with us all week as Chris Law is uh, is out of pocket for a couple weeks vacation. He's also um, with uh, with his family yep. right now. So uh, we want to thank uh, you, TD. Thank also LT. Thanks uh, CB. CB. That's and, you. And RE. And RE. And and GF. GF. Everybody's going by there. That's how we do it. Here. Why not? That's how we do it. On the REP. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peace out. Stay listening, friends.